Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2018. And I'm here with Shaka to talk about what happened this past Sunday. Shaka, are, are, are you ready to talk about what happened this past Sunday? Yes, I gotta get one thing off my chest. Go ahead, please. I texted you after the Eagles game, offering you the biggest fucking congratulations. I went to bed. I woke up the next day and I was like, it didn't fucking send. What? So, let me say this before we start. Congratulations to your Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you, sir. On a fantastic, stellar win. I was very excited about it. Continue. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I... I as as everyone's going to hear right now, I'm going to go into this Eagles gasm because um, this is a very special moment. This is something that doesn't happen every single day. So I, I sincerely appreciate that. Congratulations! It means an awful lot, and um, I'm going to be honest. I'm getting a little misty-eyed right now. Absolutely. I um. There were two conference championship games this past Sunday. We saw the Patriots play the Jaguars, and we saw the Eagles play the Minnesota Vikings, and um. Huh. Eagles won this game. Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. I'm going to bookend it with that. And now I'm going to go in and talk about the fact that this wasn't a defensive game like I thought it was going to be. This wasn't a 16-13 slugfest like we had the week before against the Falcons. This was an absolutely dominating performance on every side of the ball that has put the entire league, including the Patriots, on notice. We've got fans out there who don't care about football now sitting here going, holy shit, look at this Eagles team. We've got people who are totally ready to check out because I was a doubter. I thought it was over once Wentz went down. I had some doubts with Nick Foles. Now I see him burning down one of the best defenses in the league. Doug Peterson and that coaching staff making Nick Foles look like Carson Wentz, making this offense click wherever it could. I mean, they made this Vikings defense look like fools. And then we don't just stop there. The defense did everything they needed to do. The pick six, the strip sack fumble. And then to have that offense come out and not take its foot off the gas, to absolutely obliterate and embarrass the Vikings, making this game a blowout, putting us in a situation where I had friends calling me in the third quarter saying, oh, the game's over. What, what's the deal? I'm sitting here going, I want to savor every single fucking moment of this game. They're going to the Super Bowl. They're winning the <laughs> NFC Championship game. I mean, these are this, this does not happen. All right, I'm a guy who's seen the uh, the Eagles go to NFC Championship games and deal with Andy Reid and heartbreak, okay? There were three straight years where the NFC Championship game was just a losing scenario for the Eagles, all right? So to see them come in with Nick Foles and annihilate the Minnesota Vikings, a team that was historically good on third down, a team that had a defense that was supposed to be touted way better than the Eagles' defense, uh-huh. holy moly, man, this team is rolling at the right time. You give Nick Foles enough preparation, I got news for you. He's a pretty damn good quarterback. This guy's going to get a contract. He's not even going to be in Philly next year. He's going to be starting for another team. Eagles are going to the Super Bowl, and God damn it, I'm picking them to win. I think they're better than the Patriots. I know that they're, they're the, the betting lines are saying they're underdogs. I don't give a shit. I remember 2004. They were going in against a hell of a Patriots team, and they were not favored. Right now, Patriots better check themselves because this Eagles team is on a roll. And I think they're going to win it all. Thank, wow. you, thank you for letting me just go all over this microphone right now. Hey, man. You do what you need to do. Oh, just, oh man. Go ahead. I'm going to remind anyone who listened to last week's podcast. Well, remember, at the very end, I said with some reservation and doubt, they should just let Foles air it out a couple times. You said it, man. Couple, you said it. A couple of times. 
couple of times during the game because I, I said it then and I still genuinely believe it. This kid had a really good arm. And I remember that one season where Nick Foles was the man. 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. Like, no one talks about that season. Like, God, what was he doing right? How is it possible that that's a real season from this guy? From this guy. And now you look at this game and you're like, holy crap, where did that come from? It's been there. It's there. It's just the problem with Nick Foles is getting that to come out every week on the field. And he had years and years of not being able to do it. So for him to come in against, the again, the number one defense in the NFL and to absolutely carve them up, it's fucking unbelievable. I mean, I don't know where it came from, but he saw all the right seams. And I mean, there was one pass play I remember. I think it was to... Was it Torrey Smith? Are you thinking when he rolled uh, right and like threw that third down pass on the move? I'm thinking of the one where he was rolling left and he just, just before the defender hit him, he threw like stepping backwards and he threw a bomb for a touchdown. I, I think it was Torrey Smith. or Oh, oh no, that was the Alshon Jeffrey 50-yarder where... Where I like mean, the 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 front four was like in his lap. Yeah, I mean on the money, it was an on the money throw. Like it wasn't even off by an inch. And so that was I, a fifty yard bomb. It wasn't like he caught it ten yards and ran the rest of the way. He threw that the length of the field. It was effortless, man. I, look, I, I can't stop gushing about Nick Foles just because. I mean, talk about putting on putting on the alert. It's just like, hey, like I'm not to be taken lightly. And look at all the weapons Nick Foles has available. So he has the same spread that Carson Wentz has enjoyed all season. It probably took him a little bit to get comfortable in that role. But look at where we are now. The Super yeah. Bowl. The Super Bowl. And you really, you've. I think a lot of discussion has been made about this roster and how it's a hell of a roster. There's almost no flaws on the roster. Listen, they've dealt with some injuries, but they may be able to go through them I mean, more, no more so than their quarterback in Carson Wentz, but you look at how the coaching staff and the roster construction worked so well in making this team absolutely dominant. Howie Roseman won GM of the year for good reason. You know, Patrick Robinson had the pick six in that game. He was picked up off the scrap heap for less than a million dollars. You know, you got other guys on this team. Alshon Jeffrey signed a one-year deal to come here. They gave him an extension midway through the season, but a one-year deal to come here. You've got Carson Wentz on a rookie contract. You had that, that presence of mind, go get Nick Foles in the offseason and let Chase Daniel walk because I don't think Chase Daniel could do what Nick Foles did in the NFC Championship game. And you said it, man. Coaching. This guy can throw the ball. Those touchdowns we saw... That Alshon Jeffrey touchdown was third and 10, okay? There was another touchdown later in the game that I think the Alshon Jeffrey touchdown in the fourth quarter was third down. This was yeah. the first time we had seen the Eagles convert a third and 10 or longer since Carson Wentz was on the field, and Nick Foles made it look easy. This is, I mean, just shocking to see what they did with that offense. And to put them in such a comfortable position. And, you know, I'm going to talk, we're going to talk a little bit about this Pats-Jags game in a little bit, but, you know, I think one of the problems the Jaguars had was they had a really great set of plays, but in the second half, they sort of ran out of plays. Eagles are not in that situation. I mean, no. Doug Peterson has drawn up stuff that is really making these defenses head spin, and they were just so well coached, so well prepared. I mean, sometimes I sit here and say, what the hell happened to the Vikings on Sunday? But I don't care, man. I don't, I don't, want to understand I don't really care 
Eagles beat the shit out of them, and God bless them. It was a beautiful moment. <clears throat> I like to point out a couple things here. Number Please. one, go ahead. You still got Chris Long oh, and Legarrette Blunt, who, lo and behold, were in the Super Bowl team last year. Mm-hmm. So you have veteran experience there. Um, also, the other thing I like to point out: uh, John DeFilippo, mm. the, the the Eagles' quarterback coach. The Jets tried to pull him away to make him their offensive coordinator last season, and the Eagles blocked him. For good reason. You look at this guy, I mean, again, under the radar, but when you think about Carson Wentz making just that, you know, overnight transition, because the the leap that he had from his first to second year, I mean, just the transit, not the transition, I mean, just the ability to adapt, to adjust to the NFL speed and pace and, you know, reading the field. You got to give credit somewhere, you know. I mean, there's some damn good quarterbacks coaches out there who have not left, you know, their tenorships for good reason. It's hard to find a guy who can, like, you know, the quarterback whisperer. You need a guy like that. And, I mean, you think about Josh McDaniel and where he started on, the, you know, the New England Patriots squad. It's just those guys, when you have them, you got to hold on to them. I think the Eagles have, you know, probably one of the best – staffs in terms of development yeah. player development because you can think about how many guys have come out of that system you know the homegrown products if you will and have gone on to other places and taken big money you know it's it's astonishing i'm i'm really curious to see how the coaching staff shakes out because i think some of these guys are going to leave i think jim schwartz is probably going to take a head coaching job somewhere else um, I mean, I'd like maybe even Frank Reich, who's been the uh, offensive coordinator for this team, although I'm, I'm sure Doug Peterson's make, doing most of the play calling. Um, something I want to highlight again about what the Eagles have done and really, you know, to kind of slide a little bit into this preview of the Super Bowl, which, you know, we're not going to get too much. I'm too excited about the Eagles just winning this game right now. I can't even talk about the yeah. Super Bowl right now. But um, do we want to say anything about the Vikes? We have not, we've, we've not uttered a word. Uh, I'll shit on the Vikes in a second. Um, <laughs> one of the things I want to mention, the, the front seven for the Eagles, this rotation that Jim Schwartz has put together, he doesn't just have four guys rushing. He's got a rotation of seven guys who come in and out. Yeah. And what that means is that you end up having a pass rush that's not exhausted in the fourth quarter. And we saw this with us, you know, that happened in the AFC championship game again with the Jaguars. They ran out of gas in the fourth quarter and Tom Brady yeah. was able to burn him down. And that happened with the Falcons in the Super Bowl last year. The pass rush was dominated in the first half, and then they ran out of gas. With you, When you have Jim Schwartz rotating these guys in, giving Fletcher Cox a break, bringing Bo Allen in, bringing in Timmy Jernigan and Vinnie Curry and Chris Long so they don't play every single snap in the game, you've got a fresh pass rush in the second half that becomes dominant. And that, I think, really got put on display against this Vikings team because towards the second half of the game, you know, they were still crushing Case Keenum and collapsing that pocket. I I mean, and then to see the offense come out and to just see Nick Foles chucking it downfield, I mean, some of these plays that Nick Foles made were just mind-boggling. These third-down conversions to Zach Ertz and then mixing it in with the Jay Ajayi runs. There was a a couple of drives where Jay Ajayi did most of the work on the ground. You get one nice throw from Nick Foles, and then before you know it, LeGarrette Blunt's stumbling in for 11 yards and just pushing his way through defenders. Look, man, I'm just unbelievably impressive. I and also factor in these guys, you know, since they're being rotated in, they're not in every series. When you come in, you just 
you know, you're lazing in on the football. You want you want to be part of the action, you know. Um, I think about uh, University of Miami. They had the, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've heard of the turnover chain mm-hmm. that they had. And it's just, it's just making guys hungry, making them want it. And I think everyone in this Eagles defense is so good. Anyone feeling left out, any, you know, opportunity, they, they want in. They want in on the action. I love the way they mix up their blitzes. Every now and then, don't be surprised to see a safety come in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, just, it's it, it, not only is it a fresh set of legs you got to deal with, it's just unpredictability. Jim Schwartz is so good at mixing it up in general because his personnel changes so much that I, it's it's hard for a quarterback to get a look and feel confident. The fact that I'm a Case Keenum, I mean, prone to making some really bad decisions, and you got just chaos on the field. Now, let's let's talk about the Vikings. So, what happened? I mean, I have some thoughts, but you tell me, what do you think happened? What what jumps out at you regarding the Vikings' performance? I think they got exposed. I don't really know another way to put that. But, I mean, we've talked all year about how their running game isn't that impressive. Mm-hmm. Their one-two punch is not necessarily one. I mean, Jarek McKinnon has some nice moments during the season, and he can catch the football out of the backfield. But as a runner, as a pure running back, he's he's not very effective. Yeah. Um. And let's not forget, Latavius Murray, the Oakland saw them, him as, as expendable for very much the same reason. I didn't think he was a great runner in Oakland, and he had a slightly better season, you know, in Minnesota. But I mean, remember, you know, like, listen, Dalvin Cook would have made Dalvin him absolutely expendable. He was a starter, you know, and I mean, Dalvin Cook was having a phenomenal season. I think I think he would have hit over a thousand yards rushing. I agree. Tears his ACL, and you have Latavius Murray, who was effective as a third down back but not really built to take on the full, you know, the full Monty. He's not the, uh, you know, a running back. You run 30 times a game. So I, I think that the fact that their running game wasn't that great got exposed. And you factor that in, now it's all in Case Keenum, whose job pretty much throughout the season was just to protect the football. Yeah. You know, not make dumb decisions. And against the Saints, he made a couple bad decisions because the game was thrust on his shoulders yeah. because the running backs aren't really helping him out. You know, so I think... You can't really make that same mistake with this Eagles defense. Yeah. It's a better defense than uh, the New Orleans Saints put up against them. And I think all these things kind of just made their house of cards come crum- crumbling down. You know, I think uh, that's really – I couldn't agree more. It's really spot on because, you know, I think in a lot of ways there was sort of, you know, a shock that the Vikings had overperformed with Keenum and, you know, had been able to just kind of slide Latavius Murray and McKinnon in – when Dalvin Cook went down. And, you know, as much as Keenum's been a game manager, he's been able to get the ball down the field. He's been able to make these great plays to Thielen and Diggs. But, you know, you nailed it, man. When you thrust the game onto his shoulders, he really kind of, you know, this is not a week five game against the Detroit yeah. Lions. This is the NFC Championship game in in dangerous road game territory. And we saw some of that last week with Case Keenum. I mean, that interception against the Saints was right up as a big of a back-breaking play as you can get. And, yeah. you know, I even said on our podcast last week, the Saints won that game. They won that game. Like, it was miracle magic that Minnesota came out with the victory. But you look at it, you can kind of say that that was a loss for Case Keenum. And then he comes in here again, and, I mean, there's only so much you can expect from this guy. And I get. I went into the game and I was thinking, you know, what's going to decide this game? It's going to be defensive plays against Keenum. It's going to be pick sixes. Yeah. It's going to be strip sack fumbles. It's going to be the pressure collapsing the pocket and getting after the quarterback and getting him to make bad throws or throwing it out of bounds or getting three and outs, which 
absolutely happened. What I wasn't ready for was the Eagles then burning down their defense. Let's talk a little bit about the Vikings' defense. What the hell happened there? I mean, this was a team that's been touted as, you know, just as good as the Jaguars, if not better, and certainly better than the Eagles' defense. I mean, what do you, what did you see with the Vikings' D? Uh, I'm going to say they probably got a little bit tired, and I don't really kind of want to summate it. It's like, oh, that's it. That's the only reason. But I think that factored in. Case Keenum just wasn't having long enough drives mm. to kind of keep them fresh and rested. And when you got LeGarrette Blunt, you got Jay and Jai to deal with, and Clement coming in and having a couple big moments, you know, I think it really forced that defense to be out there too long. The series were too long. One of your best corners is also 39 years old. Yeah. You know, those things start to add up, and he definitely was getting cooked on a couple of pass plays out there, you know. So I think these things kind of built up. Xavier Rhodes, you know, I, I think he had some injury problems. I it just, just I, they, the secondary as good as it is, I think just was out in the field too long. And once those like you know hits start to pile up, there's more pressure in case Keaton to perform, get into third and outs too quickly. Defense has got to go back out there and perform. Yeah, and, and after a while, it just it breaks down. And you and I both knew that this was going to be decided by the defenses. I mean, listen, it was decided by a blowout with the when you know, the offense killing them. But it was it was the Eagles' offense killing the Vikings' defense. But you and I at least felt that. I mean, at least I thought it was going to be a defensive slugfest. And yeah. so to see, you know, when the Eagles scored that Alshon Jeffrey touchdown and went up twenty-one-seven, I was like, this game's over with a twenty-one-point lead. I mean, the the defense should be enough to to hold the Vikings to less than 21 points. This is over. And yeah. so, you know, at that point, there's a shift in the game. There's a shift in the emotion on both sides. Like, you know, they're showing the, the bench for Minnesota. Everyone's distraught. And, you know, like to, the, to have the Eagles shut them, shut them down, get the ball back and kick a field goal before you get out of the half. I mean, that was just adding insult to injury. You might as well have packed up and gone home at that point. Uh, I mean, from my perspective, it felt like the Vikings lost the game in the first half and, and the rest was just, you know, celebrations. I mean, people, I mean, they were dumping Gatorade on Doug Peterson before the two-minute warning. I would say five minutes into, well, at least five minutes left in the second quarter, I was like, this is, this is probably, it's either they, they kind of get back in the game now or this whole thing is downhill. I think that last five-minute series uh, was when Nick Poles kind of, Hepped up a little bit. Yeah, and so, then to see them come out of uh, halftime and throw the flea flicker to Torrey yeah. Smith to go up 31-7, I mean, holy shit. I mean, what a way to just kick him right in the chest, you know? Like, just, we're not even going to play around with you. We're just going to finish this. And, and so, you, you know what that looks like to me? That looks like the Patriots. That's what the Patriots do. Yeah. It's one of those things, yeah, right? First play coming out of halftime, just throw it, throw it deep just to catch him, you know, catch him looking. Yeah, keep him honest. Yeah, yeah. They, so, look, Vikings right? were not honest this weekend. <laughs> no, they 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 have a few things that they're gonna have to rework in the off season. Oh, okay. Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Uh, <laughs> I just I can't I can't fucking believe this. Okay. Um, Let's move on. Let's talk about this AFC Championship game. I could rant about the Eagles forever. I'm going to continue ranting about the Eagles for the next couple of weeks. Um, but let's talk about the Brady magic. And I'm going to uh, – listen, I'm going to I'm gonna start this off by saying, you know, the Patriots won 
I thought the Jaguars played a hell of a game. I thought, you know, they ran out of ideas and they ran out of gas and they ran out of everything in the fourth quarter. And essentially Tom Brady did what he does. Uh, And I mean, to me, I mean, listen, I had excitement that the Jaguars could do it. And when they went up 20 to 10 and they were going into the fourth quarter with a 10 point lead, you know, there was still a feeling like this is going to be tough. But I didn't really have a doubt that the Patriots couldn't come back and win. And, you know, I'm going to echo Robert Mays. He's on uh, the NFL, the Ringer NFL show. I really like this podcast a lot. And he kind of, he said something that I think really encapsulated my feeling about Tom Brady and the Patriots. I think Tom Brady's amazing. All right, I do think he's the GOAT, greatest of all time. I got a lot of respect for Brady and the Patriots. I know there's a lot of Brady and Patriot haters out there. I'm going to be it for the next two weeks because fuck the Patriots. I want to root for the Eagles here. But one of the things Robert Mays mentioned about Tom Brady is that he, he's numb to it. Like, the fact that the Patriots come back in the fourth quarter, overcome a 10-point deficit to win the AFC Championship game and go to the Super Bowl, I mean, that's the shit that legends are made of. That's it's the ridiculous. Like, this is stuff we're going to be talking about for years, and I was kind of numb to it. I was sitting here going, this isn't a surprise. It's not really fun anymore. I mean, it no, sucks it that I feel that way, but I mean... It wasn't a surprise. It was like, yeah, they're going to come back. They're going to, like, when he converted that third and 18, I was sort of like, of course. It's just, they're, they're going to they're gonna score another touchdown. The Jaguars are going to get the ball. They're going to go three and out. Tom Brady's going to have the ball with a two-minute warning, and he's going to go right back down the field and make magic. And that's what happened. Uh, in a way, the, the more exciting thing to talk about is the first half when the Jaguars actually struck some fear into the heart of the Patriots and showed a bit of a recipe for how to beat Tom Brady and this team. Um, okay, I, I talked a bit about this game. Give me some of your thoughts on this game. What did you take away? Well, I really like the, I, I really like the way you describe it. Uh, they ran out of ideas. I've been trying to find a way to, to kind of uh, to, to summarize it myself. And I think the term I've been using most of the week is basically they tightened up. I don't know how else to put it. I think uh, offensively their playbook, they just got more and more conservative. They just ripped more and more pages out. And so... When they got to the fourth quarter, like you said, they ran out of ideas. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a better way to put it. But I think in the first half, they're like, you know what? We got nothing to lose. We're going to go out there. We're going to do our best. And I think they came out of the second half like, holy shit, we're actually up. Oh, my God. Is this fucking real? And I think they really just kind of shot themselves in the foot. You know, um, I really don't know if I can put this on Blake Bortles. I mean, to some degree, obviously. But, I mean, the guy made all the throws he needed to throw in, to make in the first half. Yeah. And I think once the Patriots just jumped over him on the scoreboard. I think really the coaching staff, all of a sudden they forgot the creativity they had in the beginning. I mean, there was only one particular play where I raised an eyebrow in the second half when Bortles threw down to the sideline um, for Leonard Fournette. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, he's not Todd Gurley. I would throw that to Todd Gurley in that situation, but Leonard Fournette has not really had much of a, an opportunity to be a catcher out of the backfield. Yeah, you know, and it was just—it was just something that was like they were literally going through the playbook and going, "Hey, what about this? Yeah, like, you, you haven't run that all fucking season. Why are we doing it right now? You know." And you whereas the car. first quarter, their entire first drive was beautifully scripted. Keep it fundamental. They did the things that Leonard Fournette got plenty of runs in that first half. I mean, they really they played like Jaguars football. Yeah. And I think in the second half of this game that they think they had to do something different because they were playing the Patriots. They're playing the Goliath. Mm. You know. 
so they needed to kind of hit him. I, it just it just didn't work. I, I, Marquise Lee was the keys in the first half, and in the second, and I think part of it to credit the Patriots defense, they made good adjustments. Yeah, so. I, I completely agree with the adjustments. And I think, you know, something else I want to highlight about sort of them running out of ideas is, you know, something else Robert May said on this podcast was how, uh, you know, there's only so many things you can do when Bortles is your quarterback. You know, and again, I don't think he did a bad job, and I think you he did everything that they asked him to do, but there is an understanding from the coaching staff that you're limited with the options you have with Bortles under center. There's certain plays he can't make. There's certain passes he can't make. There's reads he's not going to be able to do. And you can't just throw in this complex playbook, you know, the day before the AFC championship game. You've got to go off of the offense you've been using. And I think that was enough of an offense to get a lead to get them into halftime. And in the second half, it was sort of like, uh, let's try to run that play again. And you know what? I mean, the Patriots were ready for it. I mean, they came, you said it, they tightened up. They came out, they made adjustments. And I and think Ste- I think Stefan Gilmore even said after the game that he was that huge play at the end of the game where he batted the ball down and it was incomplete. I think he said that the Jaguars had run that play like three times already. They had, and it was successful. I think they got a touchdown the first time they ran that, or they got close to uh, the red zone. But uh, it's just what's mind boggling to me is how well the fucking Patriots. They they come out of halftime if they're down especially they look like a different team in the second half and you can say that about I've I've watched a good amount of Patriots games this year actually just just out of you know it's okay it? dude they're in your division and they're on TV yeah. all the time I get usually it usually I kind of avoid these things like the plague but I've seen Patriots games this year and that's one of the reasons why we haven't really had to say much great things about their defense I mean they give up they give up points you know they're prone to get to run up the score but. In the big moments towards, you know, the last three or four minutes, you know, of any game, that defense shows up. And that's all you need sometimes at the end of the game. No one gives a shit if you won 28, 20, you know, four. It's what happens at the end of that game. You know what? Guess what? We're, we're 11 and three. We're 12 and three. And never mind how many points you hold your, your opponents to. Tom Brady is your fucking quarterback. Yeah. You know, let ride his back. Let him put you in the lead, and at the end of the game, you just got to give us everything you got for this series. And they took the Jaguars out of it. That Stephen Gilmore deflection was, I mean, if you're a Patriots fan, you're fucking on one knee swearing you'll be in church on Sunday. But for the rest of us, it's like, fuck, again? Again. Again. I mean, mean, there's, there's, I I go back to what Robert made, I'm numb. I'm numb to it. And yeah. we're sitting here. This is probably the greatest play player team football ever. I mean, no other team has even been to the Super Bowl as many times as Brady and Belichick have. Yeah. And and I mean, this is just one franchise. I mean, you can't deny how good this team is, how well constructed it is, and how even with their flaws, they're still able to overcome and get to the big stage. In what in in a way that almost feels effortless. I mean, it really did feel like another Tom Brady comeback at age forty in the AFC Championship game felt effortless. I'm tired. I honestly after after the after Jaguars turned it down or turned it over on downs, I uh, I, I just changed the channel. Yeah. I, my friend looked at me. It was like the game's not over. I was like, it's, it's over. It's over. And and this is after like you know the third quarter the the Patriots were punting the ball. Yeah. 
They were they were they were on their heels. They yeah, were, they were on their heels, but the, it still didn't feel like they were really in danger. Yeah, and it's funny. You and I, I, I remember I I sent you a text when the Jaguars I think got the second touchdown in that game. I think I sent you a text that saying was, I love their play calling. Yeah, exactly. And I think I was kind of like it was just a very very measured, you know, like I, I'm. I had no faith, basically, in that text. I was like, you just got to keep the defense fresh. And I, I said some other shit, like, just ranting. But it was, the text when I sent it was just like, this shit is nowhere near over. You know, as good as I feel right now, this is nowhere near over. And I'm going to have some measured expectations in this game. And lo and behold, of course, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. Dude, Patriots, Patriots. And more Patriots. The the thing I will mention, I will mention something about Brady. Um, I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast yesterday, and he he brought Tony Romo on for a quick uh, for a phone call. It was actually good dialogue. Tony Romo, listen, whatever anybody love him or hate him, he's he's pretty good at calling games, and he's a pretty he's a pretty good interview as well. Um, he highlighted something specific he saw Tom Brady do on the third and eighteen pass to Danny Amendola, and he said, "Now this is something that really makes Brady." great and better than the other quarterbacks out there. He said when he was doing that play to Amendola, Brady got up and essentially shifted his shoulders and his eyesight just slightly to the left so he could get the defender to cheat over to the left just an extra foot or two so he could squeeze the ball into the tight window he needed for Amendola. Jesus. And essentially he's saying Brady is so good, he understands the <laughs> angles so well, he did a little just minute movement to get the space he needed. That's the type of precision and greatness we're talking about with Brady. And again, he's making it look commonplace. Uh, it's one of those things where I should just hate his fucking guts, but I have to think about it at the same time. He's worked I mean, for it, I man. The guy works his fucking ass off, you know. I, I mean, you don't get that good by just luck. So I mean, he puts in all the work and he gets all the rewards. I think that's just something like, as a human being, that's like you you hope that everything you you bust your ass for, you are as good at as Tom Brady is at football. Yeah, I mean, dude, he and and Tom Brady has been here for seventeen years in this league. And we've seen multiple different Tom Brady's. The first Tom Brady was a game manager in the early 2000s. Then he was a long-distance, long-ball passer, throwing 5,000 yards and, you know, uh, 50 touchdowns in a season. And, and, you know, now we're at age 40, and he's a guy who can make do with anybody. I mean, Julian Edelman and Gronk were not playing in the second half of that game. He's throwing passes to Chris Hogan and Danny Amendola and, and, and Malcolm Mitchell and Deion Lewis. I mean... He can make anybody good. I mean, this guy is just, it's, it's, he's, it, it's fucking Tom Brady. It's, I'm, I'm almost looking at it now as transitional by the end of the Super Bowl. No matter what happens, you're talking about seeing kind of, it's almost like the, the younger pups who've had a season or two under their belt are now going to start coming to the forefront. Like, I can imagine next year and into 2019. Chris Hogan's going to be, you know, the lead receiver out there. Yeah. You're going to have James White taking that place of Deion Lewis. Like, they just have, you know, the the, the next the next evolution is, like, right behind. They, they stick to their personnel. I mean, just, there's there's something they do in New England that they don't do anywhere else. And 
it's on display with the amount that they win. That's the truth. Look, I don't know what all the drama is with people saying or just hoping that Bill Belichick leaves New England. He's not going anywhere. I don't think he's going anywhere. He's I not... mean, it's just it's, it's just too – not going to say it's too easy, but it's just everything's, like, well done and prepared. It's like having a, a fucking fantastic house that you don't hate and someone telling you, oh, why don't you move here and live in this house that you have no fucking attachment to? I'm like, why? You didn't build it. Yeah. I don't know. Yo, listen, these guys, Belichick, Brady, they got to get knocked out of the game. They're going to get knocked out. Brady's going to get knocked out at like age 42. Belichick's going to have a terrible season after Brady retires and then he retires. Like, that's how this happens. They're not going to just, they're not going to pull a John Elway and win the Super Bowl and be like, all right, we're good. No. (laughs) He's going to try to come back. And if he wins this year, he's going to try to win a third straight Super Bowl. Like, that's how he rolls. Yeah, I got what I came for. But I got news for you, man. Torch is passing, okay? Eagles are going to shut this guy down in the Super Bowl. I'm t- we're going to talk Super Bowl next week. At least that's the plan. But I'm telling you, I'm still just picking the Eagles. I think they got the recipe to beat them. I think this is a bad matchup for the Patriots, man. I'm, I'm so ready to, to knock Tom Brady on his ass and have the you know green and white confetti raining all over Minnesota. Hey, you already know how I feel about the Patriots. I'm, I'm going the Eagles. All the way on this one. Dude, me too, man. Defense, offense, St. Nick Foles. I'll tell you, Austin, Texas is happy about him too, man. They got a lot of love down here for the guy. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here. Uh, that was enough That was enough discussion about the championship games. I'm excited for Super Bowl 52, Eagles-Patriots in Minneapolis on uh, Sunday, February 4th. I think it's 6.30 Eastern time, something like that. I, uh, I think so. I think so. Um, everyone, that's it. We, I, if you guys hang around longer, you're just going to hear me e- eagles gasming all over this microphone. So we'll see you next week. Subscribe to the, sp- the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at Smithface Jones. If you've got any beef or you have anything to say about the Eagles going to the Super Bowl or any of my bashing of the Patriots, you can email Shaka and I at samsportsstation at gmail.com. We will happily get in it, get into it with you on this podcast if you really want. But I'm just going to keep saying until the cows come home, Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. Guys, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the games. We're at- Enjoy the Super Bowl, but we'll be back before then. Yeah, we'll definitely be back before then. Um, Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. <laughs>